Hey everybody, welcome back to Swedenborgen Life Live. Today we're looking at the seventh seal, Wormwood, the star of our show today, and seven angel trumpets, or at least we're going to begin the saga into these seven angel trumpets. So yes, you are in the right place, because I know those questions were on your heart, and so we're going to dig it into them today. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'll be your host. And as you can see, I'm not on a webcam anymore. I'm on a real camera, and I've got these like robot things in my ears. And these robot things, I'm very glad to have them, because in my ears now is Dr. Jonathan Rose. How you doing, man? Hey, Curtis. Great to have you here, as always, part of the show, bringing your knowledge, enthusiasm, your wisdom, and great to have all of you here. Like and subscribe if you want to help this channel grow and become strong and and uh, what all it was meant to be. And so part of our, our commitment back, because we do get so much from you, our audience, is that we like to answer your questions. And you know, we try to do it when you write in a question on any of our YouTube videos. We have a whole group of people that goes in and makes sure we get you an answer. And sometimes we like to really answer your questions. And that's what this show does, is we take things that have been on your mind and expand it and give you a whole hour of content on it. So this show, you might say, why are we talking about seven seal, wormwood, seven angel trumpets? Well, we had a question from a viewer under our episode, will the devil be released after 1,000 years? Which is its own odyssey, right? Didn't we do that show like 995 years ago? We got to check the, right. the date on that. <laughs> so the question under that was, what's the meaning of wormwood? This was from Biomed EE. Mm. Okay, just between Jonathan, we we don't we won't keep this in the actual video, but between you and me, I'm just kidding. We will keep it. Uh, I don't even <laughs> think I knew there was somebody named Wormwood in the Book of Revelation, <laughs> but there is. And Wormwood is actually the name of a burning star falling from heaven, right? So not just anyone, but a burning star. You're going to name this, I guess it's kind of like Haley's Comet, right? Wormwood, the burning star. And this comes out of Revelation 8, verses 10 through 11. So we want to look at the meaning of that burning, falling star. And to do that, you've really got to have the context for it. So for this show, we're going to do an extended look into the meaning of this mysterious frightening, fascinating chapter of Revelation, Revelation chapter 8. Jonathan, are you buckled up and ready? I, I'm ready, and one thought that occurred to me to say is just, just that um, in a number of apocalyptic kind of shows, books, and so on, Wormwood is a name that comes up, the screw tape letters and others, where uh, it's sort of a devil name that you often come across. So what's up with yeah. this Wormwood? Yeah, so if you named your devil and your story after Wormwood, here's what you named it after. All right, let's yeah. take a look at what Revelation 8 has in store for us. The premise you've got to accept is that Revelation, the book of Revelation as a whole, is symbolically predicting the last judgment. And according to Swedenborg, the last judgment was something that actually was going to take place in the spiritual world and happened during Swedenborg's writing tenure. It happened in the year 1757. That's right. It's like he was called to be a witness to it and to be in both worlds sort of checking out what was going on. And he says that that was mainly a judgment on what had been transpiring in the name of Christianity. Like, how was Christianity doing over those 1,750-odd years since Jesus was alive and walked the earth? What had happened during that time? 
Right. So it was concerning religious things, particularly, yeah, the state of the Christian church on earth. And there's a lot of reasons behind why he was focusing, why it was focused on that church. For an overview of what Swedenborg saw for that whole episode, see our episode we did called The Last Judgment. And, uh, but that, that episode is not the only place where it's covered. Swedenborg wrote quite a lot about The Last Judgment, right? He sure did. He wrote two lengthy works expounding it. And uh, the, particularly his published work, Apocalypse Revealed, uh, in the New Century Edition, it'll be called Revelation Unveiled, uh, tells what the symbolism in the book of Revelation is all about. And if I can just summarize briefly uh, part of the action that goes on after some letters at the beginning is that there's this scroll or book that's sealed with seven seals and no one could open it. And when yeah. the lamb comes, he starts to open the seven seals. And as he does so, one by one, these events happen. So, so that's sort of the backstory to what we're talking about today. Yeah. And this opening of these seals is kind of the book of life, right? Is this revealing of the true nature and really a lot of what the last judgment is, if not the entirety of the last judgment is revealing the true nature of people's hearts. So mm. we're getting to what was hidden is now known. It's okay. We've been operating under these false kind of premises. What's, what's at the root of all this and a judgment as Swedenborg describes it is just a sorting. You know, like if you think of a centrifuge, it's kind of a judgment on the plasma or whatever you got in there, the heavy stuff sinks, the lighter stuff rises so if the last judgment is this kind of giant shaking up and sorting of the state of all this of the human race in all in, in the afterlife and in this life in preparation for everything to be sorted out and restored to order you had to first uncover what people were really like and if you want to so we had all those seals right and we went over actually the first six seals in three episodes we did one about the Four Horsemen. It's all the classic, all the greatest hits. The Four Horsemen, The Souls Under the Altar, which was, was really moving. And who are the 144,000 in Revelation? So then we, we've we covered most of the seals, right? So we must be almost done, but, but there's a catch. Ah, there is a catch. And I just want to respond to your centrifuge image because what I like about that, that fits the situation very well as Swedenborg describes it. He doesn't use that specific analogy, but in a centrifuge, the centrifuge is not saying, oh, you're a bad particle, go to the bottom. Oh, you're a good particle, rise to the top. It's just the heaviness, it's the nature of each particle. This one's large, that one's small. That's what, you know, places it. And the only way you can do a centrifuge, you don't do it gently. It's a very intense process to try to whip these things around so that they sort out. So right. Revelation chapter eight, which is what hey, we're wait, talking wait about. Hey, wait a second. Where I, yes. I have a question. Uh, yeah. Were there centrifuges in Swedenborg's time? I mean, it doesn't seem like it'd be that hard to make one if you just got like a, I, I'm picturing like a spinning wheel you know, where somebody's kicking their foot up and down. Could I, you get I something going fast he, enough? He, he says a lot about particle size in the human body and, you know, the yeah. globules and various things. Uh, I, I wonder, that's an interesting question. They, they certainly had things you could spin, you know, with, a, with, with your feet or with... Uh, you know, fire or water, you know, steam, uh, not steam engines yet, but yeah. But, um, yeah. So I, I bet that was something that was already starting to be explored. Okay. Well, I, we got it. 
that's actually we're gonna have to stop our show here and pursue that line of inquiry for the rest of the hour. No, I'm kidding. We, we, we'll but. be we'll be back with you in an hour or two. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> Revelation chapter eight is about the opening. You, it's the whole story's been building up to this point of the opening of the seventh seal. You know, now you're going to be done, right? You open right. the seventh seal, but in typical biblical fashion that ending of that set of seven only starts another set of seven, which is that these angels are given trumpets. There's seven angels and they have trumpets and they're going to sound and events are going to occur. And chapter eight just covers the first four, which is what we'd be covering today. Uh, the first four of those, those trumpets and what goes on surrounding that. Yeah, so it's like, oh, can we go home now? Yeah, yeah, he's just got one more, um, got one more to, uh, to do. Oh, no, there's seven more inside this. And isn't that like, no, right. you know, we, Swedenborg describes a universe, and you can see in ours where there's, oh, it's like the, the holographic nature or the microcosm and the macrocosm, that within each thing is an image of the whole. So within that last seal is, you know, or, yeah, seven more seven things, more. steps, right? That's right. And opening that seventh seal, seven being a very significant number symbolically was the lord i mean that symbolized the lord revealing the true nature of people and specifically people who claim to have christian faith follow the following of christ but it was what swedenborg called his arch nemesis in a lot of ways faith alone which was hmm. a body of ideas separated from love or from charity so what we're going to do for you all right now is we're going to read through 13 verses in Revelation 8 and give the basic symbolism according to Swedenborg. That's right. And in this literal meaning, it's classic book of Revelation stuff because it seems like God and the angels are throwing punishments down on the poor, unlucky souls who live below. They're crashing yeah. down onto the earth. And yeah, it, it, seem, it, it just seems very alienating as a picture of God and angels. What, what does that have to do with love? And but, yeah, how are you going to have that be? This is I'm an angel, and my job is to go throw the plagues onto the earth. Just fundamentally yeah. changes what you believe an angel is. Wednesdays, I like to change the rivers to blood. Thursday, yeah. we go for frogs. You know, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, well, it's like I, it I don't know if I want to, want to be an angel anymore. Uh, that's, yeah, that's uh, right. Right. So what's it and mean? As is so often the case, the inner meaning is actually the opposite of what it looks like on the surface which is it's how what comes down from God in heaven, of course, is love. It's love and truth and light. That's what comes down. What you see when rivers turn to blood, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, grass burns up and all that drama is how people are reacting to the presence of love. They have it's a, really it's hard to imagine, but they have a negative reaction to that yeah. love coming down. Well, I think the drama in it is really the, it's really actually the drama is coming out of the depravity of the condition that we've gotten ourselves into, that the, the, the way that people were living then, and we're, st you know, we're still struggling with it as the human race now, is so opposed to the principles of uh, selfless love that, that there's, you're seeing all this intense imagery, which is just how far off track we've gotten and how what should be loving and, and the thing you'd want to accept more than anything is, is violently resisted. Yeah, the, the analogy that comes to mind is that sometimes uh, 
I don't know, I've got a cast iron pan that I use for cooking sometimes and you, and you get that thing hot, you've got some oil in there. If you just took a little bit of water, one of the ways that people find out whether the pan is hot enough is you just put a little bit of water in. If the pan's yeah. hot enough, that water will instantly sizzle and you get this angry sound out of the pan, you know, uh, yep. tsh, you know. Well, the, the water, is it the water's fault? You know, uh, the water is just pointing out the pan is hot now. And so yeah. some of what's coming down from God sort of has that effect of saying, hey, you're, you're pretty overheated right now in, in this situation. Right. So right, well, hey, let's, uh, let's start our story. Yeah, let, let's let's walk through. I, I agree. Let's um, pick up in that first verse of Revelation chapter eight. When he, meaning the lamb, opened the seventh seal. What do you think is going to happen? What's the first thing that happens? Explosion. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Wow, it's quite an image. The whole of the heavens being just like silent for half an hour. Yeah, to get you to really feel the correspondence, we're going to do a quick 30 minutes of silence right now. <laughs> Except for my t laughing. It's, yeah. Well, it's, it just shows that it's a little anticlimactic and, and also strange that you can just, why this huge pause right in the middle of it? Well, this is where we start to hunger for, like, what's the meaning of that? What right. are they silent about? What's that all about? So let's, I'm going to be sort of adding color commentary or what, color commentary or play by play, whichever way you want to see it um, on these Bible verses that you're reading because Swedenborg does walk through them and give us some insight into it. This is Apocalypse Revealed 389. This symbolically means that angels from the Lord's spiritual kingdom were quite dumbfounded. What? What was it? That the seal was opened? What's it about? When they saw people who claimed to have faith to be in the state they were. So they, they were saying, look, here you have this group of people who says, we, we have the teachings of God here, and we are God's church, and yet there's the state, meaning the kind of people, that we, the state of life hmm. they were in, which was not loving, which was not following what Jesus was trying to teach, was just shocking to heaven. The silence in heaven means nothing else than an astonishment there over people who claim to have faith, like, yeah, I am in, I'm in the club, and yet are in such a state. For their state is described in the following verses, and their character can be seen from the explanations given. Yeah, so silence is hard to read, but in this case, Swedenborg explains that silence was like they were just dumbfounded. And... Uh, it's just amazing to think about that. That that was the reaction of heaven. Well, they they didn't know up until that point quite what was going on, and so right. now to get to verse two, and one little pointer here is that a trumpet corresponds to truth being revealed. This is an examination. It's kind of flushing out how people are. So in verse two, and I saw the seven angels who stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Okay, they have trumpets. So let's see. Let's see if we can uh, again unpack that a little bit. There's this. This is AR three ninety to three ninety one. This symbolizes the entire spiritual heaven in the Lord's presence, hearing and doing whatever He commanded. So at first we're getting, I guess, in the contrast, the nature of what the state of heaven is like, you know, and how it interacts with the Lord. And then we'll be seeing what the, the opposite state is and how it reacts with the Lord. In an examination and exposure of the state of the church and consequent life 
of people caught up in faith alone. So I like that, that examination of, yeah, so you're saying you have this re- religiosity that's putting you in the right category, but what are you actually like? H- how's your actual right. life? And as is so often the case in, in these things, it unfolds by stages. And each one of these trumpets, which we'll hear four of in this chapter, tells you something about what was going on. So in verse three, then another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. A censer is an incense burner. And he was given much incense that he should offer it for the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Now this golden altar reminds me of the altar of incense that was just outside the veil in the tabernacle. Uh, so interesting kind of imagery there. What, what's going on there? Well, and that's interesting. I mean, that's, that's, I guess, why they would make things like that in the world. If you think about the representative stuff like the veil and the altar is because those things have the same uh-huh. representation in the spiritual world. Because those are like a censor is like a word, a spiritual word. It's, it's conveying something. And this is Swedenborg's take on it. He says, the altar at which the angel stood and the golden censer that he had in his hand symbolized worship of the Lord springing from a spiritual love. So what is that? Worship springing from a spiritual love, which is worship that originates from the goodness of charity expressed through the truths of faith. So wow. there you so have this. It. Yeah, right. This this worship begins from love. That, that's like where it's coming from. And the, yeah. you look at the way it's it's put there. The, Charity or, or love is expressed through truths of faith. So rather it being right. you've got this doctrinal framework and that is the defining characteristic mm. of your church, yeah. it should be that there's this love that the that the, the doctrinal ideas are a framework for the expression of that love. But it's clearly the love that's leading things. And he was given much incense that he should offer it for the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. This symbolizes an appeasement, lest angels of the Lord's spiritual kingdom be harmed by the spirits of the satanic kingdom situated below. Which is getting kind of intense. And it yeah. I think shows, yeah, that um, there's there's this whole, if, if you haven't heard of it before, there's this whole consciousness and balance in the spiritual world between what is positive and what is negative. So if you're going to move huge things around, everything's got to be set in its proper place. Just like here, if you're going to say, oh, we're going to you know, shut down the supply chain of this, there's all this stuff you got to prepare and do around it because there's all these complex relationships. So it is uh, with this. And it's quite the opposite of that idea of God sort of th- like Zeus throwing thunderbolts down on the human race. Uh, there's actually this sort of Oh, this is going to be intense for you. So here, let me give you a blanket, or you know, get, get you get you something to sort of cushion this. Uh, yeah, this it, incense is like an image of of a protection th- that's needed. Well, and so so to like dig into the the statement I was just making, like like speaking of a shutdown, we, there's people working on the water pipes uh, that are that are bringing like water to all the houses around here, um, and in order for them to hook up the houses to the new um, water, they had to shut the water off for a little while, right? So you right. have to, and, and there's like a preparation for that. There has to do with the pressures and, and there's just the right moment when they've got the other stuff hooked up. So it's all gotta be done in this order 
or else you're going to get all kinds of problems with, with it. But when it's done in the right order, everything is protected. We, we, we lost water for like 15 minutes and then suddenly we're, we're hooked into this Boom. new system. It's so, back on. Right. Yeah, so if this it's this like, is what I, yeah. I, what I love about the book of Revelation is that there's an order to it. It's not uh, just, it's not as random as it seems. You know, there's a sequence. Right. Of course, you have to do that protection first. And uh, in verse 4, you hear this continued. And the smoke of the incense for the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And Apocalypse Revealed 394 says this symbolizes protection by the Lord. So these angels are protected because this is going to get, get intense here. And so here, here you go. Here's something to buffer that. And yeah. then in verse 5, then the angel took the censer. And what did he fill it with? He filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. Now that sounds a little violent. And there were mm -hmm. voices, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So it was fire from the altar that was put in this incense burner. And then that was thrown to the earth. What does that mean? And there were voices, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And this is where we first get into the, yeah, the real appearance of angels causing destruction. So we should spend a little time on this. There's actually a great quote here from Swedenborg about that dynamic and what this verse means. So a censor, just like incense, symbolizes worship springing from a spiritual love. Because in the word, a container has the same symbolism as what it contains. Which is interesting because I guess that goes along with use and the, the, a thing the reason for something's being is the function it provides. So the reason for the container is what it contains. So they're essentially part and parcel of the same effort. Fire from the altar of burnt offering symbolizes divinely given celestial love. Oh, that doesn't sound so bad. Because no. that altar symbolizes worship springing from that love. So, so far we got nothing but, but friendly stuff, right? Throwing, yeah. the throwing the sensor to the earth symbolizes an inflow into lower regions. Okay, and, and um, this seems to me a core point in what we're talking about, which is that this is just about love. The agent of this kind of examination and judgment is just love and truth coming down into these lower regions. And so it's not that an angel arbitrarily took this incense burner and sort of wanted to rain fire on the earth or something, you know, out of right. having a fit. Uh, this is love coming down into lower regions because love is going to reveal what is truly in people's hearts and minds. People can sort of cloak themselves with various different kind of disguises and, uh, you know, so how do you find out what's really going on? Love and truth can cut through all that and reveal what's going on. And so it's a much gentler, it's still going to be intense, like the water hitting the frying pan, but, but it, it's, uh, the source of it is, is nothing but love. Yeah, and that, if I'm just going to continue to harp on my water hookup example, it makes, but we just want to get the point driven home here that what's coming at all the stuff that leads to this drama in the story is starting with something that's good coming from heaven. It has to do with the state of the nature of the receptor. So with the water main, you know, having running water is just this awesome thing that, that gives us life right in, in our houses. And so getting hooked up to that is great. But if in my house, 
And, and normally you have all these pipes that put it right where it's supposed to be, so everything's good. But if in my house the pipes are in disrepair and there's places where they don't t- you know, line up and there's going to be all ah. kinds of leaks and things, that hooking in of that life-giving water at the right pressure and everything it's supposed to have can be disastrous for my basement. Right, so it really is about the thing is good, but if you've if you've destroyed the receptors, what is good and life giving becomes uh, dramatic and and seemingly destructive. And even that is helpfully pointing out you have a leak here. Here's where your yeah. bad pipe is, right? Uh, but right? it's a disaster for you, absolutely, yeah. But because you're not going to, I mean, the state you're trying to get to is having running water and you're not going to, you're never going to get running water any other way than seeing those leaks and fixing those leaks. Yeah, that's right. Uh, And, and okay, we'll continue with the quote. And there were voices, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. This symbolically, yeah, all right, right, right. This symbolically means that after a communication with them was opened, the angels heard reasonings about faith alone and arguments in support of it. And they perceived the state of the church among those below is headed for destruction. So this is this is all that atmospheric turbulence is the mental turbulence in the church at the time that is reacting negatively to heaven saying, here's some love. And they're saying, well, here's the intellectual framework we've gotten together that makes it so we don't have to really participate in love, that we can really justify our own self-interest rather than that. So that's the, I love it. the storm. I, I love it. They, yeah, they, the response to this inflow of greater love and truth is that they call a meeting of the debate society <laughs> and they list all the reasons why it can't be this way. I mean, it's really the same reaction. Jesus was the embodiment of love, the same reaction he got in the New Testament, which is that, okay, now we need to debate this. Was this the right thing to do? Was it the right time to do it? We disagree because it went against our tradition. We say that you don't get saved by doing good things. So what are you talking about? Love and all that. So this is what all the lightning and thundering and voices is all this mayhem that it kicks up in people. It's just amazing to me. That's that's so cool to draw that connection with Jesus because it does seem to be that dynamic there is with Jesus, there is a lot of teaching and healing going on, and this clash with this hard-headed religious fundamentalism that is actually doesn't like the idea of the love becoming primary. It's the same sort of thing here. Yeah, wants Um, to control him, wants to control when people get healed, wants to ask what authority he's doing these things by, you know, why are you allowed to stand up and teach? And territory issues and all that stuff, you know. Right, right. So it says, lightning, thunderings, and voices symbolizes states of enlightenment, perception, and instruction following an inflow from heaven. Here, however, in reference to people caught up in faith alone, the voices, thunderings, and lightning symbolize reasonings about faith alone and arguments and proofs in support of it. So there's, uh, Mm. instead of being willing to be taught, it's saying like, no, I, no, uh, no, no. That goes against my central tenet, which is, uh, I I want what I want. Earthquakes symbolizes change symbolize changes in the state of the church. Here, the state of the church among those below was perceived as headed heading for destruction. Mm. And the church can occur in a single person. The earth, like what do you stand on emotionally and mentally? For earthquakes mm. occur in the world of spirits. Literally, when the state of the church in its societies is corrupted and turned upside down, the angel threw the censer to the earth before the seven angels began to sound with their trumpets. 
in order that the inflow might open a communication between the angels in the spiritual heaven and the spirits below who are caught up in faith alone. It was owing to that communication that reasonings about that faith arose and proofs in support of it, and these were also audible and perceptible. This is why we say that after the communication was open, the angels heard and perceived them. And what's and so remarkable... Angels... Yeah, go ahead. In, Oh, okay. And I understand. Listen, it's going to be very tough for us to not cut each other off, but we're doing okay. We're doing our yeah. best. And listen, let's just always make the rule that I'll just always talk. <laughs> will, Good. Uh, Simple. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, it just strikes me how you might think of something like faith alone, which you don't really ever give any thought to. Uh, but it's really a, a real, it's really gumming up the work spiritually enough that there has to be a lot done just for heaven to it's a real impediment for heaven coming to the earth yeah yeah it's a real it's a real situation that they have to to deal with and and um again i love the sense that the angels know the order of the thing so that casting of the sensor to the earth was again okay we need to move forward with this it's time now people have been protected let's go forward with it right uh there's an order to it and then in verse six the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And Swedenborg says in Apocalypse Revealed, this symbolizes their being prepared and ready to examine the state of the church and consequent life in people for whom religion is faith alone. And yeah. maybe it's worth just sketching one more time what, what he means by faith alone. There was a, a big teaching back then, as there still is today in Christianity, uh, uh, widespread theory that what you're saved by is your faith alone. It's not dependent on your good works. Your good works are important, you should do them, but they contribute absolutely nothing to your salvation. The only thing that saves you is your faith. Just have faith, just believe, which actually takes off the table all these loving acts of compassion in a way. You know what I mean? Like, like saying that that salvation has nothing to do with that. And so that's kind of a little thumbnail of what's going on with faith alone, if I have it right. Right. Uh, and I, uh, I got to let my dog out. <laughs> I'll be right back. I think your dog agreed. Yeah, right. Yep. Well, I can't sit here and say, love, 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 and then not do what my dog needs done, right? That's faith alone. That, that would be hypocritical. Okay, we're set. Everything is as it should be. So let's move on to the next verses, right? And I want to say that in these following verses, you're going to hear trumpets sounding and everything that happens after a trumpet sounds is a symbol about some consequence of having self-serving motivations that attach to the doctrine of faith alone and use it as a tool. And this is getting into why faith alone is actually a problem because it's never, there's never actually a passionate from deep in the heart that says, I want to live by faith alone. Faith alone is very easily used by our own self-centered ambition and desire to be more powerful than other people and so it's really that desire, our, our, our negative urges saying, well, I can use this to get what I want. And you can even think of even beyond religious stuff, just whenever we are using a, a framework or bending the rules to get what we want rather than using those to do what's right and good and true and just for everyone, that's, it's so, that stuff is so prone to being abused if it's not starting in love. So let's see what happens next in Revelation. In the seventh verse, the first angel sounded, so this is the first of four, and what happens? Hail, 
that's usually what happens in the book of Revelation. Hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. Okay, now we're getting into it. And they were cast down to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. It's just, it's just improper behavior by that angel. Because, right. okay, hailing that stuff on the earth, but you're going like, to destroy the rainforest and, and all the lungs of the planet, burn up the grass. Like, how is that, uh, how is that helping anything? The angel so, knows that stuff is flammable. <laughs> right? What do you think is going to happen if you, uh, you or add more yeah. blood to the mix so at least it puts out the fire? So <laughs> right. what is it? It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. What does it mean? So here is a quick breakdown of the correspondences. So hell and or hail and fire mingled with blood is false ideas springing from hellish motivations, destroying the messages in the word about goodness and truth. Because even in the Bible, even in, in Revelation, there is a lot in there saying, look, love is first. The, you mentioned the stories of Jesus. There's That message is all over it. But when you get this, uh, the ne- evil loves in control, uh, and they're wielding mm. around this idea of, of all, the, you know, all that matters is the ideas. The ideas can lead us toward love or away from love, but it's the ideas, it's the doctrine that matters. Then that actually is used to de- develop a framework that says, don't really pay attention to the love part in there and just check whatever boxes. Let's build this system to get us what we want. And, and religion is a powerful thing. So why wouldn't it want to co-opt religion, you know what I mean? Like, right. well, that'll only help. Uh, like if we want to dominate people or whatever, religion's a great way to do it. Totally, it, it goes right to people's core. So being cast down to the earth means it's affecting people's religious state of mind. A third, yeah, why a third? Like, how did you stop it that cleanly that it only burned a third? <laughs> did you like cut a right. really big fire line across the all the forests of the world? How'd you measure that? Everything having to do with truth. So it's not everything, but it's destroying all the truth. The trees yeah. being burned are people consumed by evil motivations. And the grass being burned is elements of faith destroyed by evil. So it's not that it's yeah. the angel destroying. And this is that the flip, the correspondence flip, which is so potent. It's not the angel is destroying. The angel is revealing how your evil motivations have destroyed you, even if you don't realize that they have destroyed your humanity. And the evil has destroyed the ability of this faith construct to actually lead us to lives of good. And this imagery just does kind of viscerally get across how terrible that is. Like, how would you know? You hear it on paper, you think, oh, I don't know, it doesn't sound too bad. But to the angels, this is like a third of the trees are gone and all the grass is burned up. You know, it's a, it's a, it's an environmental catastrophe. Yeah, you know, that, right. that's, that's the equivalent. In the next two verses, verses eight and nine, then the second angel sounded. And I don't know, I like this one for some reason. Something like a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, always with the thirds here, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So I weird. Can see, I can again, see why you like that one. It's, it's a nice imagery, pleasant one. This great <laughs> burning mountain of fire cast yeah. into the sea, and again, the imagery of blood is terrifying, but what's going on here? And again, it seems like the, there's some victims here that shouldn't have been victims. 
how much were the creatures living in the sea contributing to a improper understanding of the doctrine bad fish. of bad fish? Yeah, and and it's obviously symbolic because if you say a third of the creatures in the sea died, and then a third of the ships were destroyed, it's just so. Uh, it's just there's something going on there. This is right. telling us a parable about something. And so Swedenborg says that the great mountain burning with fire is this hellish, self-centered desire and motivation that that mm. is like the beating heart of this desire to dominate others being cast awesome. into the sea is affecting external religious practices so if you look at that changing the way that that organized religion functions if it's got this mountain burning with fire that that ruins this stuff a lot of stuff that can be cool rituals yes. and prayers and gatherings gets destroyed by this mountain it really gives me an image right now of how, like how else would you describe how self-centeredness is adversely affecting religion than to say, what would it be like if a great mountain burning with fire, the, the, the surface of the, of the sea would be roiled up, the temperature would change, every, you know, it would change everything. Yeah, that's right. So the sea becoming blood is corrupted truth, polluting external religious practices. The sea creature dying, the sea creature's dying is affections and perceptions in the outer mind turning evil. That if you've got that mm. evil love in there, you actually start to, you know, even, even the day-to-day -day stuff begins to be affected negatively by that. The ships being destroyed are concepts from the word that were falsified which could no longer lead to a heavenly way of life. You think about a ship being something that allows you to sail on top of the sea. These spiritual truths are supposed to be something that lets us navigate life and stay, stay out of it so we don't drown, so that we get somewhere, but those are getting destroyed by the flaming mountain. It's a problem. It's a problem. And uh, yeah, flaming mountain problem. And, and uh, the fact that it turns there at the end to scripture is very interesting because the next verses are in a way all about a reaction to scripture in verses 10 and 11 then the third angel sounded and here's where wormwood the star of the show come comes onto the stage hey show of hands how many of you forgot we were talking about wormwood ah hmm? Hmm? put in the comments no, that's all know. right i i understand but i'm just saying we've been through so much just remember this is what we came for who is this wormwood this is what we're here for so who is what's this? it we're doing open? yeah building up to this. And a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, very similar to that burning mountain that just went down in the last verse. And it fell on a, a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. Now the mountain never got named. Why is the star yeah. named? The name of the star is Wormwood and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and I might point out here that wormwood um, in the in the Greek of the Book of Revelation is absinthos, which means undrinkable. It's a bitter substance, and if you add it to other stuff in any kind of quantity, it makes it undrinkably bitter. And look at what happens at the end of this verse. And many people died from the water because it was made bitter. So it's got to do with bitterness. Okay, so what's going on there? Yeah, so who, who's Wormwood and what, how does it apply? So that falling star burning like a torch is these conceited personal intelligence arising from hellish desires. So it's this sense of, I know what's going on. And the root of that 
is this I'm I'm better than everybody. Wormwood. Yeah, and boy, does that does that conceit ever come into like religious debate or you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, oh, it feels like yeah, you can see some of that sometimes. And oh, you like uh, you and I are both burning with it right now. I can tell. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's high on ourselves. That's right. I've got a little stopwatch. that's like how much time has Jonathan been talking for compared to how much time <laughs> I've been. So wormwood is hellish falsity which makes ideas bitter and really t so oh, that's so, huh what i think the next couple are going to explain what that means bitter yeah. means they cannot be taken in and absorbed the rivers and springs of water which wormwood fell on is the word's truth that was getting falsified and becoming unpalatable many people die as many people adopted this kind of mindset and lost all heavenly love turning instead to evil so wormwood mm. is this falsity which makes it so you, we can no longer absorb the ideas. So the actual truth that was in the word, these ideas that were meant to establish connection between heaven and earth, because we had this falsity in the minds coming from this, this star, the conceited personal intelligence, the, the conceit that wormwood is, it made it so we didn't, ugh, I don't want that love your neighbor stuff. Like, I'll, I'll pay lip service to it, but what it actually means, uh, love your enemies, no way. I, I'm not going to do it. So the death, the people dying, is the people who adopt this mindset. And it's not you, you die like your heart stops, but your spiritual heart does because you lose the love that we're supposed to have and you turn to evil. And that's what spiritual death is. And and don't you feel, Curtis, like you can see this in certain ways that... that um where it gets to the point, isn't there a lot in our world, a very understandable allergy to scripture, to, to religion itself. Like religion has become very widely like disgusting, you know, yeah. because it got associated with, I don't know, child abuse or, or you know, political domination or wars or, and all kinds of things right. like, uh, hang on a second, you know, uh, and that made it so unpalatable that people don't want to drink it. But if you're not drinking in some sort of truth or some sort of teaching about love, uh, yeah, your spiritual heart is going to suffer from that. It's like worm, Wormwood's legacy. Yeah. And so we've just got two verses to go here. Then the fourth angel sounded. So what's going to happen now? Right. Well, something very strange, again, involving thirds. A third of the sun was struck a third of the moon, a third of the stars, and a third of them, it helpfully adds, was darkened so that a third of the day did not shine and likewise the night. And I just want to hit pause for a second here and just say, you can kind of, t I love it when scripture says, we did a, a, a Swedenborg Life Live about this not too long ago, about is there an inner meaning in the Bible? Uh, isn't it kind of crying out in a passage like this? Like the fact is, if you lost a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so the third of them were darkened, what would not happen as a result of that is you'd lose like four hours of daylight and four hours <laughs> of night or yeah. something. You know, it's like, that's not, that's not how it works, you know. That's not how it uh, works. There so would be less light all the time or something, but it, yeah, but it's not speaking literally. But what does it mean? Yeah, what is it trying to tell us? Using these 
images that we would understand, but in this strange kind of mystical way. So the sun being struck means you're not knowing what love is. The sun is divine love, and you start to mm. not lose touch to the basic nature of empathy. Right? Gosh, and if being... I can just break in for a second and say that, yeah. how tragic is it to get to the point where you don't even know what love is anymore? You know, like getting yeah. to the point where you have completely lost touch or your definition of love is not loving at all. It's judgmental and harsh and self-serving and arrogant or, or something. You know, you've totally yeah. lost touch with what love actually is. That's that's tragic right there. Yeah, well said. And the companion to that, the moon being struck is not knowing what faith is, what the mm. what the it, faith is meant to be the intellectual framework through which love operates but if you if you hmm. start thinking something else you know it's a very hard to get back stars being struck is falsifying concepts from the word so picking yeah. little bible verses out and saying well this means this and that means that when it's not really what they mean yeah. all three being darkened is an inability to understand love faith or the word the day and or night was, not shine yeah it was weird in the story wasn't it that it had to sort of say that again like sort of, and all three were dark. Oh, really? Yeah. But yes. that's because it has to wrap it up. There's an inability to understand love, faith, or the word. And the day or night not shining is there's no enlightenment left to inform people. And this is, what all, this is the function of the church, how to live. And people that's don't right. know. And when I, when I think about that imagery of Wormwood being this star, the star is supposed to be something that's guiding you through the dark helping you find your way. You know, that was the ancient GPS system forever. Uh, the stars were supposed to guide you. And when that crashes, you have a real, real problem. You can't tell how to get out of hell, hellish feelings and, and thoughts in yourself. You don't know yeah. what to do about them. You feel, feel stuck. Well, and, and the, then, um, the, the, uh, like the whole function of having written revelation and having uh, religious organizations or churches is meant to be because, according to Swedenborg, the state of the untouched human heart does not necessarily lead us to good, that we all, well, right. look at the human race as a whole, there's all kinds of destructive urges that well up all the time. Swedenborg yeah. says well, you're, you're basically saturated in them, so you can't just turn to that and say, what do I want? Because right. what we want, if, even if you think what you want is all good, you certainly know of people in the world who what they want. You say, no, that people can't want that. So it's meant Not to good. be that, that this revelation allows us to know, to discern what, what's the way forward in this. But when that's destroyed, then there's no, there's no way. It's just you're, you're in the dark without a light. Yeah, you, you can't get out. And this ties in very well with the last verse of the chapter where John, who's having this whole vision, says, And I looked, and I heard an angel flying in the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. And here again, this woe, woe, woe just sounds like um, a, a, a curse. You know, look out, everybody. Or, yeah. or something. But again, that's not exactly what it means, is it? Yeah, no, it is. It's a curse. No, I'm kidding. So okay. an angel flying in the midst of heaven is the Lord <laughs> instructing and predicting. Because if we get to be angels, we are more and more a conduit for 
divine love and wisdom. This woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth is actually the Lord's utmost grief over this state of evil and the consequent misery in Christians who have separated faith from charity. So it's, the Lord is not angry. The Lord is heartbroken that, that heartbroken. first of all, look what you've done to yourselves. We like you, you have just, you have burned up your forests. You have burned up your grass. You have polluted the water inside yourself. And now you're, you're, you're making it so you, you can't have heaven. Like you can't accept when I try to send you love, it turns into all this problem because you, you set yourself again. So it's like for the people there, but then the, the ripple effect that that sends out across the human race, there's this grief from God about, Hey, we were going to, and you think with all of churches and all, all the religious things that have a good initial trajectory, God is trying to turn that into this great like connection. This is a project the Lord yeah. really wanted to have work, right? Heaven, heaven on earth was the goal. That's right. And instead, you're, you're ending up in this miserable situation where people can't find their way out of the dark at all. And Swedenborg says that word woe means this lamentation. And it happens three times over because it's really intense grief on the Lord's part. So it's the opposite of throwing thunderbolts and trying to smite the human race or something. The, I, I just happen to love that word smiting. But um, yeah. the, the woe, 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 you know, this is just he's grief stricken about what's happened to this machine, as you say, that's supposed to be just a, a, a ray of light, like a, hey, here's, here's a way to deal with that problem, you know? It's supposed to be a solution, not a part of the problem itself. And so Swedenborg uh, breaks down in Secrets of Heaven 8321 uh, what the means of salvation, like so much of this is about uh, self-centeredness latching onto a theory about salvation and how it works and how it relates to love and saying love is not really necessary. You don't need that. You don't need to be nice right. to people. Or, yeah, you don't, need, you, know, you don't need any of that. That's not all that important. What's important is are you thinking the right things in the right order? And you know, do you think about them the way I think about them? Yeah. And uh, so here's what he says about that. And it's all what he's framing here in this statement is about our receptivity. Are we open to these gifts that the Lord is trying to give us, or are we closed off from them? So he says, the ability to accept truth from goodness and goodness from truth, which are these two flavors of wonderful things that you need, yeah. that ability to accept those, that, that receptivity to them, is attributed to people who have genuine faith because no spirit has that ability except one who lived a life of neighborly love. He's done the research. He was there with his clipboard and he could see, okay, let's add it up. How many people have that who didn't live a life of neighborly love? Oh, zero. The number right. is zero. You always have to have that neighborly love to get that life of true life of faith. He goes on, a life of love gives us the ability Anyone who believes faith without neighborly love can grant us that quality is greatly mistaken. Faith without love is hard 
and resistant and rejects all the Lord's influence. It's making me think of all the sort of great arguments and debates and hateful, you know, dismissal of other religions or whatever that goes yeah. on. Yeah, faith without love is, is hard. It's rock hard. But love combined with faith, and I like the fact that the first time he says faith without love and the faith comes first. But the second time, he doesn't say faith with love. He says love combined with faith, the love comes first, is yielding and soft and accepts his influence. That's why charity, that kindly feeling in your heart towards other people, gives us the ability, but faith without charity does not. And since charity gives us the ability, and what ability? We're talking about that ability to receive these gifts from God in heaven. Right. Are you open to it or not? If charity gives us that ability, charity, here it is, drum roll, charity is also what saves us. Wow, everybody says it's just you got to believe. That's it. Your faith and he's saves, saying right? kind of the opposite. Charity is what saves us. People who are saved are saved. And then he has a qualifying sentence on the end here that it's not pretending or going through the motions or something. He needs to clarify. People who are saved are saved not by neighborly love. They themselves generate like, oh, I can pretend. You know, sure, I, I can pretend to be nice. You know, but that's not what he's talking about. People who are saved are saved not by neighborly love, they themselves generate, but by love the Lord gives them for their neighbor. So they're saved by the ability to receive that love. That's, that's the punchline right there. Yeah, well, and so if we're talking about, yeah, the, what you're saved by is this truth from goodness and goodness from truth, which is coming out of God, the real stuff. But in order to be able to receive that, in order to not be a frying pan that rejects the water, we've got to have this charity. And I love that you stopped on that love combined with faith because we're all saying, oh yeah, it's love, it's love, it's love. But love needs to be combined with faith. That mm. it's love on its own is not going to do it. it that the, the way it was meant to be is that there's this love and this faith together and that that's the optimal state of mind. But the, uh, you know, but when you're missing a piece, the whole thing doesn't operate. Fall, so in apart. um, right, right. So in 1757, this was mainly about the state of the Christian religion, but this imagery can teach every kind of person the drastic consequences of separating doctrine from a life of active goodness and compassion. And doctrine, I would say, that's got to extend even beyond um, just religious doctrine. But whatever your life philosophy is, if you're digging into that without this goodness and compassion, it's going to end up serving love of self and love of the world, the, the, the things that make up hell. Yeah, it won't be a star guiding you out of the dark. The star, no. star will stop working. That's right. Hey, so that's a yeah. lot. Let's take a moment here to let it settle. Let's do a little correspondences meditation. So let's take this imagery of destruction that we see in the book of Revelation that we've learned is a picture of what this sort of self-centeredness uh, can do to our ability to, to let goodness and truth in. And let's turn it on its head because you were, if we're thinking about all this stuff that got burned up and got destroyed, let's take a moment to, to realize how great that stuff is when it's not burned up. 
when it's alive, when it's not destroyed. So we, in this chapter, talking about trees, grass, mountains, water, all kinds of things. When they're in the state they're meant to be in, these are, this is a representation of ideas and loving kindness united like they're supposed to be in the ideal state for the human mind. So if we do allow that to happen for the truth to be united to the goodness, both of which are really coming out of God in, you know, and we unite those in compassion, this brings this totally heavenly life and beauty into our minds and hearts and actions. And this, this stuff, this stuff from nature is actually a picture or a correspondence of that stuff working well. So let's take a moment to look at the good, the positive side of it. And you think about all these things you see as the state of things when they're functioning as they should be in each one of us. That's, it's so cool. And you just go outside. You just look at the things that give us peace in nature. They're awesome just in their structure. But it's all, one of the reasons why we connect with them so much is that they are showing us this, uh, you know, example of how things are meant to be when everything's working in harmony. So it's very, very cool. All Beautiful. that said, hopefully, and hopefully that was a, a little bit of time for us to kind of settle with all the information we've been taking in. But if you look back over the span of this whole episode, Jonathan, what do you feel like, you know, we're talking about the the wormwood and, and all the associated things. What What's the takeaway here the, the, from from this whole experience? Well, I, I'm feeling greedy. I'd, I'd like to take two. Um, one is one that often comes up in these Swedenborg Life Live episodes, which is just that what you think is God sort of trashing the human race or something turns out to be such an act of love and trying to restore things to a healthy functioning. It's kind of like a kid who doesn't want to go see the doctor and, you know, yeah. uh, it's like, no, that it's trying to help us. And in this specific story, the Wormwood, I'm really struck by this imagery of the star. This thing that was supposed to guide you out of the dark got broken. And what do you do then? Basically, when Revelation itself, the interpretation of it got so fouled up that you can't see where to go or what to do anymore, you need kind of a new revelation about that revelation. And it's amazing to me to think about this being encoded in the book of Revelation that already before all this stuff went down in Christianity, 
there was already a document that said, by the way, this is how this is going to go, just saying. And then that was revealed later when Swedenborg was shown the spiritual world and what the meaning of it was. So this is too long for a takeaway, but, <laughs> but I think that star not working anymore, you, you, we really need that so badly. And that, that's a very bitter thing. And it's a very bad thing for the human race when revelation becomes distasteful and we don't even want to hear it anymore because it's been so like polluted with other people's agendas. Right. Yeah. And like the like the seven series of seven within the seventh seal, you know, what's told about these big religious epochs in the history of humanity is a story about what can happen in each one of us. And on the reverse side, you know, we, we can not do that stuff and do the positive stuff instead. Hey, guess what? We got a lot of cool stuff coming up on our channel that we can't wait to tell you about. But first, a quick video about how you can support making this kind of program happen. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. As a nonprofit, we depend on donor support to continue to create high quality programming. Any gift you give joins you to the central network of people in the world who make our work possible. You can deepen the significance of your gift by making it in memory or honor of someone special in your life. This could be done as a one-time gift, recurring monthly, or run as a special fundraiser for your circle of friends and family. Go to otle.causevox.com and follow the prompts to make a gift in whatever way is most meaningful for you. Your support helps the ideas in our content reach and nourish thousands of people every day around the globe. We couldn't do it without you. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through in this way, in the end, everybody wins. Okay, coming up on the channel, as if you didn't get enough good food for thought in this show, we have our regular roster of content coming your way. News from Heaven on Thursday, we'll be looking at why love for ourselves has become corrupt. And on Saturday, spirits don't know what they are. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But we can know what they are. Short clips on Wednesday, are we saved by grace or works? And there Friday, yeah, it's, it's a little bit all connected. Friday, universally accessible joy, a passion for helping others. Next Monday, we will be off. In the United States, there is a national holiday called Memorial Day, but we will be back the following Monday with our continuation of our Divine Design series, Two Steps to Awaken to God's Design. Mm. Thanks so much, everybody, for being here with us. Jonathan Rose, it was a pleasure getting to uh, go through this with you and get to hear your take on it. That was really great, Curtis. I, I, I just enjoyed this a lot. Me as well. And thank you again to all of you in the audience for making it. So we have a, uh, you know, a community to discuss this stuff in. Hope that the rest of your day goes good. Hopefully some of this stuff empowers you to go join that love and truth and, and have a great week. We'll see you soon. Swedenborg and Life Live is Curtis Childs, host and showrunner with co-host Jonathan Rose. Live stream tech and graphics by Stuart Farmer and Matthew Childs. Show writing and chat moderation by Karin Childs and Chelsea Odner. <laughs>